Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show and we are broadcasting live from Mission Connection Northwest, the year 2020. This is the 18th year of Mission Connection. And our theme this year, one body, one voice, one mission. Now, when you think about the diversity of the body of Christ, we come from different cultures and backgrounds. We may have the same nationality, but we are so different in so many ways. And this year, Mission Connection is emphasizing the oneness that we enjoy in Christ. Now, this is clearly the work of the Holy Spirit, because the truth is you and I couldn't agree on two things at once if we were put in a room and everything we had in common. <laughs> so we're talking about what the Lord is, is doing and has done and will do among us when we focus our attention on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Mission Connection wants to reflect the unity of purpose, the diversity of expression that we enjoy as we welcome presenters here this year from North Korea, from Uganda, and Saudi Arabia. Well, as in previous years here at Mission Connection at Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin, there are more than 100 workshops. There are more than 100 exhibits and resources. And in fact, 20% of those resources are brand new to Mission Connection this year. Now, the doors technically open at 4.30, but as I look in and throughout the lobby here at Rolling Hills Community Church, folks are already coming to... um, Folks are already uh, coming to get their information and to uh, to register for the event. They've pre-registered because, as you know, that's required. But it's just such a delight to sit from our vantage point, looking out all of at all of the volunteers and the people who are coming in uh, to uh, to get their lanyards and to prepare for what's going to be an amazing two days. Now things start this afternoon. Doors open, as I mentioned, at 4:30 sort of. (laughs) Uh, The opening workshops are at 5.30 this evening, and the opening general session is with Dr. Stephen Yoon. That's at 7 o'clock this evening. Now, Dr. Yoon has grown up in South Korea. Uh, Stephen Yoon and his wife, Joy, have been residents and Christian cross-cultural workers in North Korea for over 10 years. Now, you might be wondering, how is that even possible? Now, he grew up in and is South Korean and is in a ministry in North Korea. Tonight, he's going to talk more about that. Dr. Stephen leads a team of local physicians while treating pediatric patients in developmental disabilities at the Pyongyang Medical School Hospital. He and his wife, Joy, and the family live in North Korea, and we're going to hear uh, about that from him tonight here at Mission Connection. Now, as I mentioned today, we have presenters from North Korea, from Uganda, Europe, Saudi Arabia, and many other places when you include the presenters at the workshops as well as uh, the exhibits that you'll find here at Mission Connection Northwest. Tonight is not just an opportunity to hear speakers, but we have an opportunity to come together in corporate worship as well. And our worship leaders for the weekend uh, come from Rolling Hills Community Church, their worship team, Aaron Dorr and Joy uh, Haley. And they have um, been leading worship here at Rolling Hills for many years and throughout the Portland metro area. I had an opportunity to be up at a university in the Salem area, looked up, and there the pair were leading worship for these college students. So we have seasoned worship leaders who are not just gifted musicians, but these are worshipers. You know, anybody can play an instrument, but to have a heart for worship, that's what we have here at Mission Connection Northwest with Aaron Dorr and Joy Haley.
Also, we have special guests. Uh, if you look at online and look at the lineup for the weekend, we have some special guests among those that you are expecting to hear from. Mark Miles and BOSS Turf Ministries, or missionaries, are going to be performing a few of the sessions this evening, and there is such an incredible backstory. We're talking about a story that began in prison. These are folks who were incarcerated, and somehow, in the quietness of a prison found Christ. And now there's a ministry uh, that was born out of that experience. So Mark Miles and BOSS Turf uh, Missionaries are going to be performing um, prior to worship on a few of the sessions here this evening. We're also going to hear from Michael Ramsden. He is the Ravi Zacharias Ministries International Director. We have some church leaders from Myanmar. Now Myanmar, as you might recall, used to be called Burma. Uh, Myanmar has had the longest civil war in world history, and it was just a decade ago that things simmered down just a bit. I recall being in Thailand at one point several years ago, and there were refugees across the border living in the jungle in Thailand, and they had set up a missionary school where people were being trained to carry the gospel throughout the world. These are people who are committed to the gospel, committed to church planting and the church. And we have two of them, uh, Reverend Dr. Ong Nan and Ting Ying. Um, and they're going to be uh, speaking this evening at Mission Connection online as well, or I should say Mission Connection Northwest as well. I do want to mention that online registration is closed. So if you are anticipating registering and coming tomorrow, online registration is closed. You can, and I wanted to try to confirm this earlier, and we'll try to uh, confirm before the program ends, if it's possible to register on site this evening, but online registration has come to a close. Well, today we're going to talk with a number of the workshop presenters. We'll begin with Garrett Burke. He is the Director of Ministry with Campus Ambassadors at Willamette Western Oregon and Chemeketa Community College. He's going to be presenting a workshop this evening, Combining Forces in Local Campus Ministry. We'll talk with him in just a few moments. We'll also talk with James Williams. Dr. Williams was on loan from Tyndale uh, for about 15 years to lead a team of Bible translators, and they translated a study Bible into Spanish. The project was completed in 2015, and we'll talk about what does it take to translate the Bible from one language to another. Also in this hour, we'll talk with Dr. John Marriott. He's the Director of Global Learning at Biola University, where he also teaches in the Philosophy Department and at Talbot School. Uh, Dr. Marriott is a, a former pastor in Canada and is the author of two books on deconversion. All of that coming up this hour on the Georgine Reich Show, broadcasting live from Mission Connection Northwest. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and we are so honored to be broadcasting live from Mission Connection Northwest 2020. We're here at Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin that has graciously consented to make their facility available to the greater body of Christ here in the Portland metro area. As I mentioned, the event begins this evening with workshops at 530 and then the first general session with Dr. Stephen Yoon at 7 o'clock p.m., 
But here with me now is one of the workshop presenters who just arrived from the Salem area, from what I understand. It's quite the drive up. In the yeah. <laughs> well, Garrett Burke is Director of Ministry with Campus Ambassadors at Willamette, Western Oregon, and Chemeketa Community College. He's going to be presenting a workshop, or maybe a track of workshops, Combining Forces in Local Campus Ministry. That's uh, this afternoon at 5.30. Well, the question is, how might the church combine resources and skills to reach domestic and international students on local campuses. Garrett, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Georgine. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, the theme this year is unity, and that's mm-hmm. something that we are we aspire to, even though the Word says we already are unified in Christ. Mm-hmm. How might we do a better job uh, of demonstrating that unity and ministering to students who are coming to us from all over the world? Well, I think, unfortunately, we sometimes live in a world where you feel as though you can either have unity or you can have truth, but you can't have hmm. both. So what we try to emphasize with our student leaders, for example, is we take them through this course with, called Unity of the Body. And it's examining that very concept, how we can have both unity to work together to combine forces for the greater kingdom purpose while at the same time maintaining the truth of the gospel. So what we're going to be discussing this evening is how we as a body of Christ, both full-time, part-time volunteers, all different capacities, the local churches and all organizations, can connect together to reach the ever-growing mission field on college campuses these days. I mean... You talk about reaching the nations. Last year alone, there were 2.1 million international students studying on college campus in America. Incredible. Oregon State University, for example, where we have a full-time ministry, had 117 different nations alone represented several years ago. And the vast majority of those are from the 1040 window. So the amazing part is these nations that are almost impossible to get into in any meaningful capacity in some cases are literally, their governments are literally paying for their students to come here and study. So we are able to connect with them right here on our own turf without having to hop on an airplane, without needing a passport, and without having to learn a new language. So that's just one example of the world coming to us, but also recognizing the fact that our college students today, 15 years from now, 15 to 20 years, are going to be running society and setting the trend. Now, for some people, that might be terrifying if you spend much time on college campus, but we view it as an amazing, incredible opportunity to help shape that next generation. College is the most impressionable time of anybody's life. For those who haven't been there yet, you'll soon realize that. And for me personally, it was challenging because I never had the traditional college experience. I was older. um, I attended Multnomah University here in Portland and seminary, fine institution, but I never had the experience of leaving on my own, living in the dorms, being in a very an environment that's hostile towards the gospel in the university setting, which many can be. So recognizing and realizing that these students today are being told so many different messages and saying that you will find your worth in this, in the job you earn, or in the job you uh, land, in the money you earn, in the clubs you're a part of. The challenge is how do we make them realize that true worth is not found in anything the world offers. True worth is found in knowing who Christ is and in living that out in community as well. So it's a nutshell version of what we aspire to do. I think during the college years, a lot of young people are really searching for truth. They're trying to understand the world that they are now being launched into. Is there a, a, generally, is there an openness to considering the claims of the gospel and the values that um, that the, the the gospel presents? Absolutely. And what we have discovered, there's an old adage that persons are smart, people are dumb. <laughs> I'll elaborate on that a little bit. Please. Is that when you can talk to people as individuals or in small groups and get to know them as persons and individuals and eliminate this groupthink mentality which dominates our culture and in many cases dominates our university mindset, 
people are more than receptive and open to change. People are more than receptive and open to consider that maybe the world that they see isn't all there is. Maybe there is something more. Uh, to consider that there is a savior who loves them and who bled and died for them. And as we can open those dialogues, and as people can open up to trusting a Christian, there's a great book written by um, two campus ministers from Australia called I Once Was Lost. And they talk about the different thresholds of entering the kingdom. And the first one is simply trusting a Christian. And if we can demonstrate that we mean the best for them, they might get to the point where they say, I don't know who this Jesus guy is. I'm still not 100% certain about this. But I know that Garrett, I know that so-and-so cares about me and loves mm -hmm. me because they've demonstrated it. And if they tell me that I need to consider who Jesus is, maybe I should take that into consideration. One of our most uh, successful programs we've launched over the last couple of years, it's a philosophical discussion group called the Agora. Uh, which means the marketplace in ancient Greece. And all we do is we sit out in the commons of each university at Chemeketa, Western Oregon, Lynn Benton. We have one up at Central Washington. And we have a question of the day. So everything ranging from why is there a universe rather than nothing? What is ultimate reality? What is truth? What matters? How do we find self-worth? And we just invite people to come and talk. And students are blown away that people actually want to hear what they have to mm -hmm. say. I think that's the biggest difference is that we care about what you want to say. We believe that True tolerance is not in agreeing with what everybody thinks, but in respecting, honoring, and dignifying one another in spite of disagreement. And by that, they're willing to consider change. They're willing to consider changing the way they view the world. So if you can get to know people as individuals rather than as groups, it's amazing what can be done. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, part of the focus of your workshop today will be combining forces. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, stepping foot on a college campus can be terrifying. Absolutely. How can the church and others who are concerned about college students um, join forces to, to um, encourage effective ministry? Well, for those on their way here right now, come to my workshop at 5.30 and you'll hear more. A couple bullet points I'll be discussing is one, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, and along those lines, connect with somebody already on the ground. Sometimes we think that we're going to jump on in and do our own mm -hmm. thing and start from scratch. And recognizing that at many universities, there are already wonderful existing ministries there, whether it's campus ambassadors, whether it's crew, the navigators, university. We partner with many different campus organizations. So you can hop online many cases and look at the clubs at any university and see who's already there. They'll have contact information. You can hop on the national websites and discover who's already doing stuff on your own campus and connect with them and say, what are some ways in which we can bless you? Something as simple as opening up your building. We have numerous congregations in Salem that we partner with over the years for welcome back events for our students, for Christmas parties, for gatherings, for concerts. Um, the, the ability to just say, how can we help you by providing our facilities is a huge blessing. And for individuals who have time being willing to commit to meeting with two or three students once a week over coffee, I often say it's amazing the investment that a $4 cup of coffee, is it $4 these days? It feels like it's going to <laughs> expensive, but $4 for a cup of coffee to buy you an hour and a half of students' time to be able to sit and listen and learn their story, the trust that they're willing to show you. Never underestimate the power of just listening. And if you have time in your schedule, connect with somebody on the ground, find out who they've connected with already. Another amazing way is just to connect with students already attending your local congregation. So many people have no idea the number of students who are already attending local mm -hmm. universities in their own congregation. So ask and use that as your in and say, what clubs, what organizations are you connected with and how can we be a part of that? 
Oh, again, some practical um, direction if we want to combine forces in local campus ministry. Well, Garrett, again, is going to be speaking this evening at 530. If you're on your way here, that may be one of the workshops you want to attend. How might the church effectively combine resources and skills to reach domestic and international students on local campuses who are coming here in droves? Well, Garrett, thank you so much for coming and presenting and for us. taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you so much, Georgine. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Blessings. Well, again, we're broadcasting live at Mission Connection Northwest 2020 in its 18th year. The theme this year, One Body, One Voice, One Mission. We're at Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin, and we would love for you to be a part of uh, this seminal event here in the Portland metro area. As in previous years, there are more than 100 workshops. There are more than 100 exhibits and resources, and among those... 20% brand new mission agency exhibits. That means if you have been here before and you've perused every single one of those booths, you're going to find some that you've never seen before. So make note of that. The doors are officially opened and uh, the the first workshop, I should say, is at 5.30 this evening with the general session with Dr. Stephen Yoon at 7 o'clock p.m. this evening. There'll be a time of worship with the Rolling Hills Community Church worship team and some uh, special guests. And this evening, in fact, we'll be hearing from some church Church leaders and planters from Myanmar. Now that country has been in turmoil. In fact, they have the longest running civil war in world history. And what God is doing in that area is what you'll hear from uh, Reverend Dr. Ong Nan and Ting Ying, uh, who work with the um, uh, Kachin Bible Convention, uh, Baptist Convention in that country. So, We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue with a conversation. Dr. James Williams was on loan from Tyndale House for about 15 years to lead a team of Bible translators to translate a study Bible into Spanish. I mean, how hard could that be? How much time would be required? We'll talk about that in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we have the great honor to broadcast live today from Mission Connection Northwest 2020. In its 18th year, the theme is One Body, One Voice, One Mission. We are at Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin, where they have once again graciously opened their doors and made this facility available to the body of Christ for ministry. We have presenters here from North Korea, from Uganda, from Europe, from Saudi Arabia, and many, many, many places. Among the um, plenary speakers today, we have uh, Dr. Yoon, we have Michael Badriaki, Becky Pippard, uh, we have Dick Brogdon. All will be presenting over the next two days, but also we have more than 100 workshops, more than 100 exhibits and resources. Right now, we have one of the workshop presenters, Dr. James Williams. He was on loan to Tyndale and is still now from time to time to lead a team of Bible translators translating a study Bible into Spanish. The project was completed in 2015. Bible translation. Now, it doesn't sound like it would be that hard. You see the letter A or the word A and you just translate it into A. But it took 10 years to translate the Bible into Spanish. He's going to be presenting at 5.30 this afternoon, Bible translation. It's a primer. And he's with us now to talk a little bit about what he'll be talking about and the work that you have done. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. It really is an honor to be here. You know, Bible translation is such a mystery. I think most of us underestimate what's required to provide a faithful translation of God's Word. You may have it in the Greek, you may have it in the English, you may 
may have, you know be working with different translations. What is that process like, and why is it so tedious, and why does it take so long? Well, I have to admit, I didn't know it was going to be so complex uh, when I got into it. The only word I can come up with is naive. I was naive. Which I when, think describes most of us. Yeah, when, <laughs> when they asked me to, to lead this team. But first of all, you've got to choose the team. You've got to choose it wisely because we want people who walk with Jesus on the team. Not, not they're only good at Greek, Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, mm -hmm. and, um, and people that can help uh, uh, improve the text, but we want people who really walk with the Lord. So th we had we had to get uh, those people. After yeah. we chose the team, which took me about a year to, to get that together, then we started in with the with the text itself. And the way we did it is, when someone would finish with a the text, they'd send it in. We'd do that book. We didn't try to do it in order. We did the book. Each book went through seven revisions. Hmm. The last one was out loud with someone who hadn't seen the text before. And that's when I discovered the beauties of Skype. Because I was traveling to these countries. I was traveling to Argentina. I was, go I was going to Guatemala. I was going to Mexico, you know, to read this thing. And then I realized someone said, why don't you just use Skype? So we did. And I, I set up uh, speakers in my office so I could hear them clearly. And we had people read. And, you know, because we, in Spanish, we have 22 countries. And so we had to make a, a translation that would go over 22 countries with their different idioms and things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when there was a lot of, say, Mexican influence, we had someone from the Cono Sur, up that Spanish, let's see, the Southern Cone, the Southern Cone do the reading. And they, they might say, you know, Jim, that particular phrase doesn't mean much to me, you know, but it was clear to me or vice versa. I remember one of our Mexican readers said, you know, I don't understand that phrase at all. And it was really clear. And so we'd, we'd circle it, we'd go back, we'd make it, we'd make sure that it was, um, that was understandable in all 22 countries. Oh, what a process that must have been. It was. And it requires a real collaboration. I appreciate that you say it's not just a matter of having the technical skill to understand language, but there needs to be a relationship with Christ, a person who has a, uh, a life that follows um, Christ in order for that to be a faithful translation. Absolutely. I mean, that was a, one of our requisites, that, that they would be walk with Christ and be a solid member of a local church. Mm -hmm. You know, and they'd have the skills also that we need. We had one guy that spoke seven languages. So when we were when we were going around, you know, we'd have the text that was delivered to us, but we'd have Portuguese and French and Dutch, which was interesting, German, and um, and and every Spanish, you know, uh, version that we could think of, because uh, the head of Tyndale told me when we started, Jim, when you run into a difficult text you need to understand that everybody else had the same problem with that text. So go find out how they got out of it. What they do in Portugal, you know, and, and, and in Brazil. What do they do in, in German and, and, and different English versions? So, yeah, we had some people with some real skills. Oh, just amazing. Now, as I mentioned, uh, this evening at 5.30, you're going to be presenting the workshop titled Bible Translation Primer. Is this for people who are just curious about how the scriptures are translated or those who are interested in Bible translation themselves or maybe both? I think both, but I, I'm basically going to uh, teach what I learned 
because I, w I went into it as we started here, I went into it really not understanding too much. I'd had some linguistics in, in graduate school. I studied linguistics, but and I'd had Hebrew and Greek. But as far as doing a translation of the Bible, this was all new to me. So I'm going to be presenting at 5.30 what I learned in those 10 years. Oh, incredible. As you know, there's a great move afoot to, um, to question the reliability of Scripture. When you're in the process of translating God's Word from one language or languages to another, um, what role does that play in um, attempting to faithfully communicate what the Scriptures originally taught? Yeah, we, what we did is that that was the fear of God in us. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons I, I told my friends, that's why I have white hair now, because we knew we were dealing with God's word here. And we had to faithfully represent God's word in, you know, in Spanish is what we were going to. The target language, as we call it, was Spanish. And this is this is what what God put down. So we were. Uh, we were, that was over, my wife put a huge uh, sign up, you know, uh, to that effect on, on the wall of our office, and it was always there, and we were very aware what we were doing all the time. Very sobering. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. Now, you um, were on loan from uh, for Tyndale for a period of time for this particular translation, but you are in ministry when you're not translating scripture as well, with the Palau organization? Yes, I've been with Luis since 68. Since 68. What do you do there? Well, I, we started out, I mean, b basically it was just Luis and I and we started, really, you know. And, and so w w what Luis didn't do, I did. You know, I, I used to be the photographer. I, I wrote the press releases, I, I you know. And then as we begin to grow I begin we begin to go into different uh, areas and I became the director of all the ministries in the Spanish speaking world and then when I got into this Bible you know uh, we re recognized that this is a full-time job mm -hmm. and so we worked it out so Kevin Palau uh, Luis's son took over in the Spanish speaking department so I could work on the Bible now, Spanish, first language, second language? Second, but I learned it. I had two. When I started, and that's another one of my my workshops, is um, when I when I started learning language, I, I decided I had two goals. Never to make the same mistake twice. And the second goal was to be able to correct native speakers. And so I, I started uh, studying Spanish, and I gave my first message three months later. And... Um, and I, I went to, when I was living in Mexico in those days, I told my secretary, I never want to make the same mistake twice. Mm. You're going to correct me. And she said, nope, why not? Women don't correct men in this culture. I said, the God is above culture. You're going to correct me because I never want to make the same mistake twice. And so now now uh, different editorial houses send me books to, to, uh, to edit. Basically, I do cultural editing. Mm -hmm. More than anything else, mm -hmm. you know, adaption is would be. I adapt uh, the books to the culture. So. Oh, just incredible. So you've had many years of ministry with the Palau organization, yes. uh, translating scripture. What a rich, full ministry life you are living. Yeah, well, I can hardly wait to get up to the workshop. <laughs> It's going to be great. Once again, Bible Translation, the primer at 530 this evening. And there will be others uh, tomorrow as well. You can check out your uh, your uh, conference program with all those important details. Uh, Dr. Williams, thank you so much for uh, 
for talking with us today. No, it's my pleasure. Really appreciate really, it. Georgine, thank you. Once again, we're broadcasting live from Mission Connection Northwest 2020 in its 18th year, if you can believe that. Uh, we're at Rolling Hills Community Church, where once again they've made their, their uh, facility available to the body of Christ so that we can come together. And uh, our theme this year, one body, one voice, one mission, and that is precisely what we are here uh, for this weekend. Now, the doors uh, will have already opened, I should say. Our first workshop begins at 5.30 with the first uh, general session with Dr. Stephen Yoon at 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, worship music is going to be provided by Rolling Hills Community Church, and I hope you are on your way to join us for Mission Connection Northwest 2020. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We will be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and we are broadcasting live from Mission Connection Northwest 2020 and its 18th year right here from Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin. This is a premier event for the Christian community in the Portland metro area. So I hope you're making your way here because we've got a significant uh, lineup of speakers and presenters throughout the next two days. And the great thing is it's not just a matter of an academic study. We are seeking the Lord. We are being encouraged, inspired, and challenged throughout this weekend. So uh, just delighted to be here. We've been talking with some of the workshop presenters here um, on the program. And right now we have Dr. John Marriott. He's the director of global learning at Biola University, where he also teaches in the philosophy department and at Talbot School. Uh, Dr. Marriott is a former pastor in Canada and is the author of two books on deconversion. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. He's also going to be uh, speaking tomorrow on uh, in the 1:30 workshop track: challenges and opportunities for millennials and Gen Z in mission. So we are just delighted to have you with us, Dr. Marriott. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really, um, really encouraged that you'd want to talk to me. Oh, so thank absolutely. You. You're going to be talking about the subject of deconversion. First of all, maybe we want to define what the term means because it has theological implications. What does deconversion mean yeah. as you'll be speaking about it today? Yeah, it really, it really does. It's really important to define the term, yes. so I'm really glad that you asked. So when, I, when we think of deconversion, there's theological implications and then there's sort of sociological ones. And um, deconversion would be the opposite of conversion. So when someone comes to Christ and they make a profession and they start to, to walk, they become part of a church, they get discipled, they start to grow. Deconversion would be the unraveling of all of that back to the point where they say, I don't believe this anymore. And I uh, remove myself from being part of this Christian community. I don't believe it. And the, the, there are theological questions there and there are some sociological questions. What my area of interest is, is uh, trying, I, I stay away from the theological question mm -hmm. of whether or not these folks ever really had a, a relationship with Jesus, where they were born again, whether they were justified. Um, but I look at the sociological uh, aspects of it. So what were the things that caused them to, uh, to stumble and to lose their faith? And whether or not these people were, were, were born again and, and lost their faith, as some, as some people might believe, or they were never saved to begin with, um, the same challenges are uh, experienced by people who manage to maintain their faith, even though they go through a period of crisis. And so my area of interest in talking about deconversion is what are those things that cause some people to leave and then really cause other people to stumble, even though they manage to maintain their faith? It's such a timely subject. There have been some well-known big names recently who have 
um, had deconversion experiences as you've just described them. So I think people really want to know, how do I understand this? Um, what might I do to encourage someone who has fallen away for a, a, a more arcane term? You're going to be talking about um, uh, how this happens. Are there common threads that you see among those who uh, profess to deconversion? There, there are. There, there's, a, there's a few that come to mind. One is that often they come from environments that are very strict, and they come from environments that um, expect them to affirm and uphold all of the particular views of their of their church. So instead of what they end up often rejecting is not necessarily the essential. Uh, creedal aspects of Christianity that we all hold in common. What they end up, uh, what they reject is this very bloated, heavy, uh, fragile, inflexible set of beliefs and practices that they believe is Christianity and that they believe they have to affirm in the totality because they've been told that it's a very non-negotiable thing, that Mm -hmm. it's this set of beliefs and this set of practices are what make you a Christian. And if you don't buy into all of them, then you can't be a Christian. So that would be one. And the second would be often a a sense of disappointment or hurt by people who profess to be Christians. And um, maybe they feel as though they've been uh, uh, judged inappropriately or they perceive they've experienced some some real hypocrisy or failure from Christian leaders. And they say, you know, I'm I'm not really sure that this stuff works. Mm. In your experience and as you've studied the phenomenon of deconversion, which certainly is not new, um, do you find that people who have, as you described, the first uh, condition, people who have lived under the presumption that there are things outside of what the scriptures actually require, that they're more likely to return to the faith if they are challenged to consider what the scriptures actually teach? Or is the tendency more that they continue to reject uh, Christianity altogether? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm not sure uh, what the numbers are like. Um, I do know that the numbers of people who are leaving the faith as opposed to who are becoming Christians, at least in the United States, are are, um, are disproportionate, right? So I think it was the Pew Research Center recently put out a study, and, and in it they said that for every four people who leave the faith, one becomes a Christian. Hmm. Uh, And those people who leave, often maybe they leave because they were really just uh, tangentially connected to the faith to begin with. Maybe they didn't really have a deep connection to it. They maybe made a profession at some point, but they didn't really grow in their faith. And maybe they were quite nominal. It's really kind of hard to know when you're looking at statistics, but there are few statistics that talk about the people who leave and then seem to come back. But those who do often will come back because they have done what often they will call, they have deconstructed their faith Mm. and then they have rebuilt it. And what I mean by that is if you just can imagine the structure of a house, um, they have been handed a faith and they have believed it, they have uh, lived it until they became, came to a place in their life when they started to ask questions themselves and say, but do I really believe this? And do I really think that? Do I really believe this? Um, And so uh, they start to question and will, uh, like like taking apart a house, almost take it apart down to the studs and say, well, here's the foundation. I at least believe in Jesus and the existence of God and the resurrection. Now from there, what do I, how can I reconstruct my Christian faith Mm -hmm. in a way that I think is biblically authentic? So there are definitely people who are trying to do that. Now this phenomenon of deconversion has implications for how the church presents the gospel and the expectations that become part of church culture that are extra biblical, for lack of a better way to describe it. What does this uh, understanding this phenomenon say to us as believers in evangelism and in um, 
presenting the gospel and church life, church community. One thing that I hear uh, a lot from people who have left the faith is that uh, it seems as though they were given a, an understanding of the gospel that is very propositional in that if you believe these four things, then you are inside of the family of God. And there is very little connection to something more deep and something more robust, that there is a, a personal trust kind of relationship there, that, that there is an allegiance to Christ that is called for in the gospel. Um, they also see the gospel as being very reductionistic, as in the only thing that matters is getting you into heaven when you die, but it doesn't have a broader, more robust application throughout the rest of life. So the, the narrative that we're offering people is sometimes unappealing and uninspiring. It doesn't say, come be part of the great grand story of God who is reconciling and redeeming the entire cosmos unto himself and all those things that you do within your human experience, uh, whether it's creating art or whether it's working a very mundane job, can be done to the glory of God. And in the end, God will dwell with his people in the book of Revelation. It's You need to believe these four things so that when you die, you can go to heaven. Yeah. And they say, you know what, that's not, a, not really a story that yeah. <laughs> really meets my you yeah. know, my deeper my deeper needs. Yeah, we're talking about the uh, session tonight at 5.30, the de deconversion of disciples. It's not an uncommon for those who make commitments to Christ to either quietly fade away or loudly renounce their faith. He'll be talking about that phenomenon. And I should also mention that tomorrow in a different track, the Next Generation track, uh, he'll be uh, speaking along with Dr. Uh, Jolene Ehrlicher, challenges and opportunities for millennials and Gen Z in mission. And just listening to you talk today, this is going to be a great track. I can, I can tell you that right now. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today, for, uh, for being here to present the workshops that you're a part of. And I just really appreciate uh, your time. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Again, uh, Dr. John Marriott, Director of Global Learning at Biola University, where he also teaches in the philosophy department at, at Talbot School um, there as well. We're broadcasting live from Mission Connection at Rolling Hills Community Church. I hope many of you are making your way to this location right now. The first track of uh, sessions, workshops, begin at 5.30 and then our first general session at 7 o'clock p.m. So join us. When you come in, look for us. We're right uh, inside the, uh, the door when you come in. Stop by and say hello. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back after news and traffic. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show, where we are broadcasting live for the 18th year from Mission Connection Northwest. The year is 2020. Can you believe 18 years? One body. One voice, one mission. That is the theme this year as we are gathering at Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin. People are coming in to uh, retrieve their lanyards as the uh, evening is about to begin. Our first session of workshops begins at 5.30, and Dr. Stephen Yoon will be presenting at 7 o'clock for our first general session. Worship will be provided by Rolling Hills Community Church worship team with Aaron Dorr and Joy Haley, it's going to be a wonderful weekend, not just an academic study, but this is a weekend in which those of us who come have an encounter with Christ. We are seeking direction and affirmation. Lord, what would you have me do? We find encouragement and inspiration and we find challenge. All of that at Mission Connection Northwest. It's been a full year that the folks uh, at Mission Connection, the board and others have been preparing for you 
And uh, now is the culmination of all their efforts, and we are just delighted to have the opportunity to be here this evening and to help welcome you into Rolling Hills Lobby. Now, they are so generous and gracious to make this uh, um, magnificent church available to the body of Christ. We certainly want to say thank you to Rolling Hills, uh, who for the last two years, this being the third, have uh, made us welcome in their house, which is God's house. Well, as in previous years, there are more than 100 workshops. There are more than 100 exhibits and resources. And lest you think, well, I've seen it all. This year, 20% brand new mission agency exhibits. So if you think you know them all, there are some new exhibits here this year that you have not seen at Mission Connection before. We also have people coming from all over the world who are looking to see what are they doing in this small town of Portland. We have presenters uh, from all over the world, North Korea, Uganda, Europe, Saudi Arabia, and many, many other places. So it's exciting to consider that once again, Portland has birthed a ministry that others are uh, also applying in their communities. Well, special guests tonight. We have uh, some musicians, Mark Miles and BOSS Turf Missionaries. It's a unique ministry that was born out of incarceration. They're going to be performing a few times over the course of the weekend, starting tonight. Uh, Michael Ramston will be here. He is uh, with Ravi Zacharias Ministries International. Uh, he's going to uh, have an opportunity to speak. Church leaders uh, from Myanmar are also here. We've got uh, Reverend um, Ong Nan and Ting Ying, who are get going to be presenting. They are with the Kachin Baptist Convention in Kachin State, Myanmar. And we're going to hear a little report from what's happening in the church in Myanmar. And it's so thrilling to me to consider, I'm a girl who grew up right here in Portland, and I have family in Myanmar. In fact, there's a church in Myanmar of which I am a part, and we're going to have the opportunity to hear how God is moving in their community. Now, if you're not familiar with former Burma, now Myanmar, they have had the longest-running civil war in the world's history, at least known history. And so this has been a very fractious part of the world, and yet, as is true in every nation, on every continent, in every place, God is at work. And these gentlemen are involved in the church, church planting and uh, growing the church. So we're looking forward to hearing from them this evening. Now, I mentioned tonight the presenter will be Dr. Stephen Yoon. He grew up in South Korea. He and his wife, Joy, have been residents and Christian cross-cultural workers in North Korea for over a decade. Dr. Stephen leads a team of local physicians while treating pediatric patients and developmental disabilities at Pyongyang Medical School Hospital. Stephen and his wife, Joy, and their family live and minister in North Korea. Sounds impossible? This is what God is doing. We're also going to hear from uh, Michael Badriaki. He is from Uganda, born in Kenya, raised in Uganda. He has experience serving globally within evangelism and education, missions, uh, global health and leadership development. He's the author of When Helping Works, Alleviating Fear and Pain in Global Missions, and serves as the president of the global leadership community. He's a graduate of Multnomah and uh, got his uh, doctorate at uh, George Fox. He's a professor now at Lancaster Bible College in Pennsylvania, where he lives with his wife and their daughter. Becky Pippert will also be speaking. That's tomorrow, a midday. She's the author of 11 books. She's also the founder of Becky Pippert Ministries, a global evangelism ministry. She and her husband have ministered extensively on all six continents, most recently living in the UK and in Europe. 
Her best-selling book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, remains a definitive guide to personal evangelism. She began her ministry right here in Portland on staff with InterVarsity at Reed College. So homegirl is coming home. Uh, Dick Brogdon will round things out with the uh, final plenary speech on Saturday evening. He and his wife Jennifer have served among Muslims for the last two and a half decades. They helped found Live Dead. It's a movement. He's the author of Loving Muslims, The Live Dead Joy. Uh, this Gospel, Abiding in Jesus, Abiding Mission, and the editor of several other books. All these books are available on Amazon.com. Some of them may be available here uh, as well. Uh, Dick has his Ph.D. in Intercultural Studies. He and his wife have two sons, and they are continuing to do ministry among Muslims. He'll be the final speaker for the weekend on Saturday night. It's going to be a tremendous, um, I guess, day and a half in which all of us are here for one purpose. One is to express, as Mission Connection uh, desires to do, and to reflect the unity of purpose, the diversity of expression, uh, welcoming presenters from all over the world um, to live out our faith. So that's what's happening here at um, Rolling Hills Community Church. And we've taken advantage of the opportunity to speak with some of the workshop presenters. Coming up, we're going to talk with um, a former pastor who's currently the director of International Renewal Ministries and the Clark County Prayer uh, Connect Coordinator. We're going to talk about a workshop coming up later this, uh, this evening, Biblical Ways to Pray for Missionaries. Now, all of us who have concern for those who serve in missions want to pray effectively for them. How do we do that? He's going to talk about some biblical models of prayer that can help us pray well for those who serve in the mission field. And also later we'll talk with uh, Sergeant Michael Ga uh, Geiger, who is retired. He supervised the Portland Police Sex Crimes Unit. He also initiated a proposal to redefine the Portland police response to human trafficking and child exploitation. He since had... Uh, uh, been dedicated to creating a collaborative approach to the identification of victims of human trafficking and to the development of a team that focuses on the restoration of those who have been victimized. He's going to talk about that on Saturday, midday, during one of the workshop, workshop sessions. So we'll be talking with him uh, a bit later in the program as well. As I mentioned, the first uh, round of workshops begins at 5.30 and the general session at 7 o'clock. So uh, we'll have a time of worship with the Rolling Hills Community Church worship team and uh, just have a great evening together. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're broadcasting live from Mission Connection Northwest 2020 in its 18th year. Our theme this year, One Body, One Voice, One Mission at Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin. Quick break, and we will be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and today we are continuing to broadcast live from Mission Connection Northwest 2020, now in its 18th year. Our theme this year, One Body, One Voice, One Mission. We're at Rolling Hills Community Church. They have graciously consented to allow us to use this um, beautiful facility as the body of Christ as we seek uh, to know him better and to uh, follow him uh, where he leads. So we have been talking with some of the workshop presenters here, and right now I'm just delighted to have Dennis Fuqua, 
uh, to join us. He's a former pastor. He's currently the director of International Renewal Ministries and the Clark County Prayer Connect Coordinator. He's going to be presenting, in fact, in just a few minutes, uh, Biblical Ways to Pray for Missionaries. He's also the coordinator for Prayer Connection. We'll tell you a little bit more about that as well. Dennis, thank you so much for joining us. Georgine, thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you for letting me be here as well. Uh, It's a great honor. Well, it's an honor to have you. Thank and let's you. talk about prayer. I, I, I think we tend to be people who we can get our, our minds around doing. We want to do this. We yeah. want to go there. Prayer, on the other hand, seems like it's it's doing less than what we can physically engage. Let's talk about the value of prayer in general and then how we can pray for those who are engaged in mission um, after that. Great. Well, first of all, I just want to recognize that Bill McLeod, the director of uh, of Mission Connection really values prayer. And if you go to a steering uh, com- a steering team meeting, they spend like 45 minutes or an hour every month praying for Mission Connection. Mm. Then last night we had a time of, of uh, hour and a half specifically praying for Mission Connection. So one of the reasons why there's thousands of people in this building and why it will be so impactful is because of they, they really do value prayer. So to your point, um, it, it is true. It seems like when we when we pray that we're just praying. Okay. Yeah, it's like we're taking a pause from yeah, the action. To pause from the real self. Well, there's a quote. I I I don't know who it originally came from, so it's mine now. Okay. <laughs> but a, a quote says, "We must do more than pray, but we can't do more than pray until we pray." And so that foundation and, and really, uh, prayer is is not seeking to convince an unwilling God to do what we think he ought to do. It's not informing an ignorant God about what really needs to be done here on earth. The essence of prayer really is coming into alignment with his will, with his heart, his purposes, his word, and then somehow he has, and I, he didn't ask me as in setting things up, but somehow he has determined that the way that he's going to accomplish so many things on earth is when we we agree with what he wants to do. He says, for example, um, uh, uh, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. So we know it's his will that we are to walk in humility. So a good prayer is, Lord, would you please bring me to that point where I walk humbly under your hand and see what you do? So prayer is is really one of the uh, major thrusts of my workshop coming up in a few minutes will be let's pray biblical mm-hmm. uh, in biblical ways. That doesn't mean just simply recite the Lord's Prayer, but it means let's see what this passage about what God wants to do. Let's see this passage about prayer, what it says, and then agree with it and pray, yes, God. For example, one of the things we'll be talking about is God tells um, through David in Psalm 122, God tells his people, pray for the peace, the shalom of Jerusalem. And they got that. They did that over and over and over again. And for literally 500 years, they did that. And then Jeremiah is taken captive and speaks to the captivities in Babylon. And in Jeremiah 29, 7, he says, pray for the... And the Jews knew what he was going to say. They, they said... Yeah, he's going to say, pray for the city of Jerusalem. And, and, and Jeremiah threw him this curveball and said, pray for the shalom of Babylon. Pray for the shalom of the city to which I have called you. So if God wants us to pray for his favorite city, pray for shalom for his favorite city, and his least favorite city, Babylon, 
I think our city is somewhere in between <laughs> on that on that continuum. And and he wants us to pray the for and he told he told David and Jeremiah to pray for the peace, the shalom of, of Jerusalem and Babylon, because he wanted the people there to experience shalom. And so that that's, in, a, in essence, what prayer is about. Listening to what God tells us to do and then saying, yes, I agree. I agree with that. And somehow that lines up our heart. It lines up our head, lines up our spirit with what he wants done. And it gets it gets done. It seems to me we are acknowledging the lordship of Christ and we are submitting to the lordship of Christ. Sometimes we have devised a plan that seems right to us and we move forward without submitting. You know, you are the Lord That's and right. I need to follow the plan that you have prescribed. And so prayer puts us in that right posture and reminds us that we are under authority. That's right. It reminds us that we're not in charge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And and you be reminded you, you, often. <laughs> <laughs> you do. I don't need to be. <laughs> Yeah, we, it's true. We we need to be reminded often. And I think uh, for example, in the Lord's prayer, where we pray, where he tells us to pray, let your name be holy. You, uh, hallowed be thy name. Well, a wonderful way to pray then is God not my name. Yeah. This is not about my name. This is about your name. And that's a wonderful daily prayer. Uh, not my kingdom. Not my will, your kingdom, your will. That's what I want to live for. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to think about. That's what I want to give myself to. Yeah, and if we're, if we're praying, Lord, help me to walk humbly before you, that seems like a great way to start. Exactly right, <laughs> yeah, yes. Putting things into their rightful place. Yeah, well, right. in addition to the workshop that you'll be presenting moments from now, I hope you have your <laughs> running shoes on, uh, Biblical Ways to Pray for Missionaries, you are also um, the coordinator for Prayer Connection that's coming up um, in May. May. Tell us a little bit about Prayer Connection, where you can expand on this Good. notion that prayer is an integral part of what it means to be a Christ follower. Well, Mission Connection has been so successful that it has spawned several other connection events. And Prayer Connection, uh, Student Connection, and Crescent Connection, Short-Term Correction, Leadership Connection, those things. But Prayer Connection is one of those. And again, I didn't come to Bill and say, Bill, you need to do this. You need to do a prayer connection. But rather, he said, we've we've got to have somebody doing prayer connection. And so he, we got to know each other and all. So he, he, he roped me into doing it. Now, I was a willing <laughs> roper, but, but he, he, he convinced me to do it. So the, the purpose of prayer connection, the little, the little phrase is where prayer and mission connect. Love that. And so uh, each year we have uh, from Friday night and then all day on Saturday, it's, it pa- it's patterned after the schedule of mission connection. We have three plenary times. Uh, two plenary speakers this year. Uh, Gail Stockcamp is going to be one of the one of those uh, plenary speakers, and she doesn't normally do this public speaking stuff. She and her husband were the ones who began Mission Increase years ago. Yes. And she has been a vital part of the prayer ministry of that, and a vital part of the prayer ministry of of the Palau team. And so we said, uh, Gail, you have all kinds of stories of prayer. Come and talk to us and encourage us. And then the other uh, plenary speaker is Brian Allred. And, oh, I wish we had more time to talk about this, but the short version is that across the nation and around the world right now, there are congregations and ministries that are saying, we will commit to cover one day a month in prayer. The 24 hours, every second Tuesday, for example, or third Friday, we will cover that 24 hours in prayer. Georgine, that's going to happen. At the end of this month, we expect that it will be happening in 159 nations. Amazing. It's it's crazy. It it is it is something that God has breathed on, and is is uh, 
so Brian will come and share with us, and then uh, and then Gail as well, and then we've got other. We'll have about a do, uh, about ten or so workshops there as well. And prayer connection is coming up. I should uh, mention May the eighth and 9th at Southwest Hills Baptist Church. So right. you can find out more about that in the brochure that comes along with Mission Connection Northwest. You can also find out more details online at missionconnection.com. Uh, great resources. Well, prayer has been uh, an integral part of your ministry. You've written on the subject. You've spoken on the subject. But more importantly, you are a man of prayer. It's one thing to, to know a lot about it. It's another to, to be a prayer. How has that shaped your walk with Christ, oh. being someone who takes seriously uh, the call and privilege to pray? I've had the privilege of being under the ministry of some wonderful men. John Mitchell, mm-hmm. the founder of Multnomah, Dr. was Mitchell. one of my profs. Uh, David Needham, uh, other people from uh, apart from Multnomah. Uh, they've, been, uh, they've influenced my life, but nothing has influenced my life anymore. Not just my prayer life, not just my spiritual life, but my entire life as taking seriously the words of Jesus when he said, pray like this. This is I want you to pray like this. And so doing that on a regular basis has been the biggest shaper of who I am. It has, it has shaped my family life. It has shaped my mental life. It has shaped my, um, uh, every, every aspect of my life. And so uh, the thing of just simply praying, taking time and doing it, there's, there's no, uh, no substitute for that. Mm. Yeah. Well, Dennis uh, Fuquay, thank you so much. I'm going to let you go because I know you have to make it to your workshop. Thank you. I, I can get mention, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should mention that there is a prayer room here. So right. if during the course of the weekend you feel like you really just need to stop and pray with someone, there are people who are just praying over the events that are taking place throughout uh, the next day and a half. Uh, so that's an important part, uh, an ongoing part of Mission Connection Northwest as well. Again, the workshop Biblical Ways to Pray for Missionaries is going to take place in just a few moments, and Dennis Fuquay will be be presenting for that. Um, Prayer Connection, May the 8th and 9th at Southwest Hills Baptist. Another opportunity to learn more about and to engage in prayer with others who recognize the value of what uh, God has called us to do together. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show and we are broadcasting live from Mission Connection Northwest 2020. Now in its 18th year, our theme is One Body, One Voice, One Mission. And in the fractious time we find ourselves in the only way that that's possible is by the work of the Holy Spirit in us when we focus our attention together on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what a beautiful portrait it is to consider that we are the body of Christ together. One of the things that I'm appreciative this year is we have presenters from North Korea, from Uganda Europe, Saudi Arabia. We speak different languages, we work different, we have different cultures and yet we are one in Christ. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back we're going to talk with Sergeant Michael Geiger. He's retired. We'll uh, talk more about the work that he is doing and the workshops he's presenting. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We are back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and we are continuing to broadcast live from Mission Connection Northwest 2020, now in its 18th year. The theme this year is One Body, One Voice, One Mission. We're gathered at Rolling Hills Community Church tonight and all day tomorrow to really seek the Lord and, and uh, how can you use us in ministering in our respective communities or perhaps somewhere else around the world. We've been talking with some of the workshop presenters, and I'm so delighted to have Sergeant 
Sergeant Michael Geiger retired with us now. He supervised the Portland Police Sex Crimes Unit and initiated a proposal to redefine the Portland uh, police response to human trafficking and child exploitation. He has since been dedicated to creating a collaborative approach to the identification of victims of human trafficking and to the development of a team that focuses on the restoration of those who have been victimized. He's going to be presenting a workshop tomorrow at 1.30 in, I think, is the third track. Um, and I'm just delighted to have you here uh, to talk about this subject that finally is gaining the attention that it has deserved for, for quite some time. So welcome and thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this is such a difficult subject. I think many people don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to consider that it's closer to us than we might ever imagine. Let's just begin by talking about the, the challenge of human trafficking and child exploitation. How big of an issue is this, and who should, uh, who should be made aware? Oh, it is bigger than what I think anybody can imagine. Mm. It has become the fastest-growing criminal enterprise in the world. It is so profitable that people around the globe have come to view human beings as a commodity, a commodity from which they are reaping enormous profits at the expense of oftentimes the most vulnerable in our society. But it's a crime, and it's a level of exploitation that generally occurs in the dark, in the shadows, behind the scenes, and it's not something that's always very visible within the community, and therefore, too many people draw the wrong conclusion. They think that it's not happening in my community, mm. uh, when in fact it is. It's, it's a crime that's being committed in plain sight. We don't necessarily know what to look for. Talk a little bit about the population. We tend to think, you know, maybe we're talking about teenagers, maybe we're talking about young adults. We're also talking about children who are being exploited. Yeah, yeah, for the most part, those who end up getting recruited, coerced, or forced into the sex trade. It happens very young. Um, national statistics uh, put it between 12 and 14. Oh. Uh, our experience in Portland, most of the young people that we worked with and the cases that we had um, ended up getting into this the best we can determine at about age 14 or 15. This is the 21st century. Mm -hmm. We like to think of ourselves as civilized, that um, we are law-abiding citizens for the most part. How is it possible for this enterprise to continue in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in places we frequent without our notice um, and that the numbers that we're seeing are, are being exploited uh, with some regularity? Oh, that's a hard one. I think maybe... The reason most people don't know what's going on or they have drawn the wrong conclusions out of it is because of the way this kind of victimization manifests in the lives of those who have been exploited. Many people for a long time confused uh, what was taking place in young people's lives and they, they assigned wrong categories to them, like calling them delinquents, criminals, uh, just problem children. Uh, children who just simply don't have good boundaries or making bad choices and left it go at that and didn't understand the nature of violence and coercion and all the pressures that are being exerted on very, very young people uh, who desire only to be loved and cared for. And their, their lives are such that they ended up being very vulnerable and there are predators in every community looking for people that they can exploit and make a profit off of. 
being aware of the situation, being aware of the problem that it exists and it exists in our communities, where do we begin to address it in a way that reflects genuine concern for and regard for those who are victimized? Well, one of the things I think that's so important is to realize that this type of crime and the nature of trauma that has been inflicted on these individuals is very complex. Uh, they are connected in a whole bunch of different ways to various systems, whether it's law enforcement, prosecution, juvenile justice, parole and probate, and the list goes on and on and on, whether it's mental health, medical issues, and all kinds of things happen. And um, and so what, if we can stop for a moment um, and think about who they are, and the way that I've thought about it, it's almost like winding the clock back. Instead of making a judgment about a person based on the way that they currently manifest themselves mm -hmm. in relationship to others, I start thinking about this was a child with hopes and dreams. This was a child who desired to be loved and cared for, to have a future that was safe and healthy, but it went wrong for them. Life circumstances, abuse at home, neglect, lots of issues ended up coming into play where over the course of time the very view that they have of themselves became distorted and then when the exploitation really was brought to bear on them everything changed in their lives they no longer viewed themselves as having any self-worth or value they were just simply a part of the game the life and they began to self-identify in that mm -hmm. way and no longer viewed themselves as part of society they separated themselves out which actually further uh, created a sense of anonymity where we didn't know who they were where they were because they weren't talking so what the community needs to do and I think would and I think they've been trying it's amazing what's taking place is people are trying to go okay we have thought about this in the wrong way for so long what's actually going on and there has been a level of compassion and mercy that is growing and developing where we're going. We just need to extend love and compassion and mercy to people who have been harmed repeatedly year after year after year. As I mentioned, you have been in law enforcement. You're now retired. You supervised the Portland Police Sex Crimes Unit um, and initiated proposals to kind of redefine how this whole issue is being handled within law enforcement. One would assume that the things that you are exposed to in that capacity over time would harden your heart, would um, make, you know, addressing this repellent once you're no longer connected with law enforcement. How have you kept your heart tender and what motivates you now um, to continue to reach out to and minister to those who have been victimized, to identify them and then to, to reach out to them? Well, the perspective that I had was I was confronted with the reality that this was far more than I could handle. It was far more than any police department, any organization, any entity could handle. It was too big, it was too difficult, and uh, the hurt that had taken place in people's lives, uh, I found could not be healed through the police systems or the judicial system. It was much deeper than that. And I was fortunate enough, uh, my wife was amazing in her support and understanding that things got difficult at times. Mm -hmm. I was privileged to have people praying for me, uh, people that I was able to talk to and work through some things. But sitting across the table or uh, interviewing people who had been harmed in this way, it's hard not to really take it in deep and realize that what has happened is an egregious offense against humanity. 
and I just found myself wishing that there was some way to help. And it seemed at some point the only thing I could do at the time was to just care for them, to extend compassion and mercy and depend on God's love and kindness uh, to get us through all of it. Well, and I, I can say that you and others are doing some remarkable work um, because of that. Now, we're talking about a workshop that will be Saturday at 1.30. The title that's been uh, afforded the, the uh, workshop is um, Rescue the Right Way. I think that's probably... You'd probably word it differently if given the opportunity. But if you are, if you have a heart of compassion for those who are being victimized, how do I identify who they are? What ministry opportunities are there? Um, this is a workshop that you'll want to attend. In fact, I think there's a track that begins yeah. tonight as well. Um, you can check that out. And again, the conference brochure provides all those uh, details. Uh, but this is an issue that um, I think we're coming to grips with for the first time, uh, generally speaking, and to find out how to respond in a way that is constructive uh, and reflects our need for God to intervene in the lives of these individuals is uh, just such a timely subject for a mission conference. Thank you so much for all you're doing and for taking the time to talk with us about it here today. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Again, Sergeant Michael Geiger, retired, supervised the Portland Police Sex Crimes Unit and initiated a proposal to redefine the uh, Bureau's response to human trafficking. He has since dedicated uh, himself to a collaborative approach to the identification of these victims of human trafficking and to develop a team uh, that focuses on the restoration of those who have been victimized. And I'm telling you, some of the work they're doing, in fact, I'll tell you right now because I've been working on this for some time. I'm planning to spend a couple of hours on the program with you and if you are willing and some others that I know that are involved in this ministry to just talk in greater detail about uh, the need and what we can do to respond. So looking forward to that. Once again, we're broadcasting uh, live from Mission Connection Northwest 2020 at Rolling Hills Community Church. We're going to take a quick break and we will We'll be back to wrap things up for the program but to begin Mission Connection 2020. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show, and we are happily broadcasting live from Mission Connection Northwest 2020. This is the 18th year of this mission conference, and I have to tell you, there are states all across the Fruited Plain that have come to observe in order to replicate something similar in their communities. We have several of them coming this year as well. I think the, um, Bill McLeod said there may be five or six different states. We've got people coming from other countries uh, to be here at Mission Connection this weekend in order to see what we're doing here in this little podunk town of Portland that they can take back to their respective countries. So this is a conference that's gained quite a reputation, not only here locally, but among uh, people all across the world. Now, Bill McLeod has, the, has been the executive director of Mission Connection, but he is supported by a board of directors, a host of volunteers, people are, who are committed to praying. And it really is an amazing thing when you consider the collaborative effort that goes into a conference of this size. My understanding is we're looking about 56, um, 6,000 people uh, here at the conference. Um, I just want to remind you that our first session, our first workshop session is about halfway through, but our uh, main stage at 7 o'clock p.m. this evening will feature Dr. Stephen Yoon. He grew up in South Korea, but now lives in North Korea and is involved in cross-cultural missions. It is a remarkable story. He was in the Portland area a couple of months ago, and I had the opportunity to hear him 
uh, speak. So I, I know a bit of the backstory, and you'll have an opportunity this evening, those of you who are participating in Mission Connection, to find out how on earth um, mission work is going on in North Korea. And this is just another reminder that regardless of what the political situation is, what the limitations are, what the level of hostility toward Christianity might be, God is at work in every place on his planet Earth. And we should t be encouraged by that and always expect that, regardless of what the headlines might have to say, God is at work. So you will find tremendous encouragement uh, from Dr. Stephen Yoon. That's also true, of course, with uh, Dr. or with Michael Badriaki. He is uh, from Uganda. Grew, uh, grew up there, was uh, born in Kenya, uh, received his education at Multnomah and George Fox University, where he earned his Ph.D., uh, and he is going to be presenting. He is the author of When Helping Works. I love the title of that, Alleviating Fear and Pain in Global Missions. Uh, Becky Peppert, uh, the author of 11 books, including Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, one of the definitive guides to personal evangelism, and Dick Broden, he um, the founder of a ministry called um, Live Dead, you know, take up your cross daily, if you puzzle over that phrase. So he's also the author of Loving Muslims, The Live Dead Joy, uh, This Gospel, Abiding in Jesus, and many other books he will be presenting as well. So it's going to be a full uh, day and a half here at Mission Connection Northwest. I mentioned that the theme this year is One Body, One Voice, One Mission. And Mission Connection wants to reflect the unity of purpose and the diversity of expression of the body of Christ as we welcome presenters from North Korea, from Uganda, Europe, and Saudi Arabia. There are other Connection events that will follow once this is a, a memory. Uh, we have the short-term Connection that's coming up in February that focuses on short-term missions. The Crescent Connection, it used to be called Muslim Connection, that's coming up in March, the 6th and 7th. The Journey deepens. it really answers the question, okay, I've gone to Mission Connection. Now what? There's Prayer Connection coming up in, and I should mention the journey deepens is April 3rd and 4th. Prayer Connection, May 8th through 9th. That certainly should appeal to everyone. And then, of course, um, Student Connection that takes place in November the 6th and 7th. You can learn more about all of that at missionconnection.com for all the important details. I should also mention you can sign up for the regular newsletter for Mission Connection. You can do that online. There's also a booth here at Mission Connection to do that. And they're always looking for partners with pastors and mission um, board members uh, who can collaborate uh, with Mission Connection in future events and opportunities for ministry. Now, I have two minutes and just say thank you to the whole host of people that um, have given of their time and talent to make this event possible. There's parking and security. There's the book table, the registration, meals, volunteers, the platform coordinators, workshop coordinators, exhibitors, site planners, hospitality, church sponsors. There's the tech team, both audio, lights, and everything else. Um, there's the board of directors. There's the executive director, Bill McLeod. There are those who have traveled from great distances and some from short distances in order to be presenters here at Mission Connection, all together demonstrating what this whole conference is about. One body one voice, one mission. That's the body of Christ. Here at Rolling Hills Community Church, we are reflecting that unity of purpose, that diversity of expression, as we welcome one another, as we come together at the feet of Jesus and seek his face, seek his will and his direction, bathed in prayer. And who knows what 2020 will be when his people 
are submitted to him and living out their faith as he prescribes. Well, thank you so much for listening this afternoon and joining us at Mission Connection. Some of you on your way here, others of you just by proxy will enjoy hearing some of the uh, presenters. Keep us in prayer as the the next um, day and a half are crucial in the lives of many who are seeking direction for their life moving forward. I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineer, uh, engineering, rather, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Again, Mission Connection Northwest 2020 in its 18th year celebrating who God is and what he has made of us. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.